Thanks for joining us for Life Community Church. Thank you so much. Okay, welcome. So nice to uh, see you here. So, um, so this is actually the last sermon in one of our series that we've been doing um, called Divine Wisdom for Navigating Life. That's what we've been doing over the last few weeks. And uh, as you know, we've kind of looked at wisdom in the Bible, um, both in the Old Testament. So we went through the Old Testament and went to like Proverbs, where there's a lot of wisdom there. Um, we went to Isaiah and some of the other prophets, uh, Joshua, and um, looked at some wisdom there. And about the last three weeks, we've been looking at the Sermon on the Mount, which is just packed with wisdom. It's kind of Jesus's uh, sermon where he lays out the kingdom of God, and he gives a description of the what kingdom citizens look like, and that, that people that mourn are blessed, that people that are poor are blessed, and hungry are blessed. And then he goes into looking at our relationship with each other, that we're salt, that we're light, um, that uh, our heart, what, what we do in our heart really matters. And uh, we've also looked at our relationship with God in the Sermon of the Mount. And so we looked at the Sermon of the Mount and how do we pray to God? How do we fast? Where do we put our treasure? And we looked at several verses in the New Testament and the Old Testament. We even went to my favorite passage, Hesitations 2-3. He who sitteth on tack shall surely rise. Uh, oh, that's as good as it gets, so sorry to disappoint, okay. <laughs> but um, today I was actually, I was actually uh, praying for a couple of weeks, you know, what should I do, you know? And I decided to, uh, you know, you kind of go, this is kind of what God's put on my heart. And it, it's something that he was dealing with me about. So in a sense, um, yeah, I'm about to be exposed, <laughs> kind of vulnerable here. Um, and um, it meant a lot to me. And as I was praying, I think it might, uh, I might be able to shed some wisdom some divine wisdom on a topic that even when I say the word, um, there'll be people that shudder. And that is, um, we're going to try to bring a little divine wisdom uh, to shame. Um, if you've um, looked at shame or considered shame, um, I almost don't even like uh, saying the word uh, shame. You know, many of us struggle with shame on a daily basis. You know, we still have that feeling. Do you remember that feeling when you walked into the lunchroom? You were looking around, and there were no seats at the tables, and you were kind of exposed, and you didn't have anyone to, where to sit, and you felt like everyone was watching you, and it's like, will they find out that I'm really not comfortable here? And you kind of feel that that feeling when we talk about shame or, or else, you know, one of the top five dreams that there are, so this isn't something that I, I dream, but <laughs> one of the top five dreams is that dream. And I don't know if anyone's had this dream where you're sitting at work or I was sitting in a class and I go, 
oh my gosh, I forgot to put my pants on today. Have you, you know, apparently about, <laughs> that's one of the top five dreams and you just feel exposed. And uh, that's kind of the feeling that some people um, drag around in their lives with them each and every day. Uh, there may be some of you that say, well, I'm not really driven by shame. So for you, um, you're hopefully going to understand some of the rest of us. Also, if that's you, you might be a sociopath, so, <laughs> so that's a downside too. So. But hopefully you'll uh, understand us a little more. Um, it's, it's funny, when I think about shame, the first thing that came to mind are some of the animated movies. Have you seen the animated movies where they use shame? Um, we'll see. Go to the next slide there. The, do you know what movie this is from? The Box of Shame? Despicable Me, yeah, so this is uh, Miss Hottie's Home for Girls, and so whenever they were bad, she would put them in the box of shame, and, and you know, that's kind of a description, you just feel like you're in this box, or another one of my favorites is from the movie Up, you'll see this next one, uh, this is Doug, and this is the cone of shame, right? And I don't know if you've had a little animal that's had one of these cones on, but they just walk around and like you've stripped all the joy from their life. But um, where I really came about this, and I would say, let's see, for about the last six weeks, I'd say, um, that, that God was really dealing with shame in my life. And I'm going to define it so it's going to be maybe a little different than what you think. Um, I had actually gone to a friend of mine, um, her name is Amy Schumacher, we went, uh, Jay uh, and Amy are some of our great friends from Ohio, we went to Alaska with them, and I do this every once in a while, I'll go up to one of my friends and I'll just say, give me a book to read. What's a book that, or a podcast that you think that would be meaningful to me? And Amy immediately came up with this book, and it's a, a book um, that's by an author, um, her name is Brene Brown. Uh, she actually had a TED Talk that was on one of the side TED Talks, if you've ever heard of TED uh, Talks. Uh, they're very popular uh, on YouTube, um, and they talk about technology and design. And um, she has a book that's called Daring Greatly. And she did this little, and it, TED Talk's about 20 minutes. She did this 20-minute TED Talk, and it was on a side view, venue in Houston, and it got 51 million views. Um, and it dealt with shame and vulnerability. So if you've never heard of her, she kind of lives in this world between, um, between really uh, speaking to Christians and then also speaking to society. She's actually a professor of social work at the University of Houston, and she does shame research. And so I really gleaned a lot of this message from her, and so I want to credit her with that. And she looks at shame, vulnerability, and leadership. And if you've never heard of her, if you've never seen that TED Talk, you're welcome. You should go and uh, check it out for 20 minutes. Uh, for those people that deal with shame, it will really highlight some things. But the way that she defines shame is she gives this definition in her research. She says, shame is the intense, painful feeling or experience 
of believing that we are flawed and therefore unworthy of love and belonging. Um, Shame is the intense, painful feeling or experience of believing that we are flawed and therefore unworthy of love and belonging. Let me um, just really try to give you a sense of this definition because it's defined a little bit different than sometimes we use it. Sometimes we use the word guilt, shame, humiliation, or embarrassment. We use those all the same. Um, For research, the research that she and others are doing in this area, uh, they really differentiate what shame is as a difference from guilt or conviction. Uh, And let me, um, the easiest way to do this is to Think about what happens in your mind whenever you do something and you're kind of embarrassed by it. So whenever they talk about guilt and conviction, the thought is inside your mind is, I did something bad. Um, I'm a Christian. I'm an apprentice of Jesus Christ. I'm a son or daughter of God. And I blow it sometimes within the grace that God's given me. And God gives me grace during those times where I blow it. And so that guilt is kind of that attitude that there's something I do, but that doesn't really define who I am. Now, whenever they use shame, when they use shame, it's different than that. It still uh, begins with an uh, emotion. It's kind of like, um, I, I do something and I am bad. I am a sinner who will never change. I doubt that I will ever change. I am stupid. Um, How could God love me? Maybe this Christian thing's not for me because I will never change. Do you see the difference there? It's that the things that we do define us, and then the thing we are defined, and sometimes we blow it. Uh, Let me just kind of give an example. (laughs) This happened to me, actually. Um, I don't know if you've ever do. Have you ever blown a meeting with a friend, like you're supposed to meet with someone, and like you just totally forgot? Um, I did this just meeting someone before uh, a few years ago, and uh, they gave me a call, and I was in, I think I was in Sam's Club, they said, where are you? And I was like, oh, wow, I totally blew that. Well, whenever we have those times of mistakes like that, guilt kind of says, you know, I I really blew that. Um, You know, I'm sorry that I wasted your time. Um, I really need to figure out a way to get better about keeping my appointments or about not being late. Uh, shame, on the other hand, would say, I am such a bad friend. I can't believe that I did that. That's just who I am. You know, I'm always disappointing people. You know, you see the difference? It's, it's that definition that, that shame is actually defining who you, who you are. And, and sometimes it's even... Uh, people that, that deal with shame, they go and instead of telling the truth, they'll say, well, you know, I sent you an email. Didn't you get the email? You know, and so they go to paths like that. Well, the other thing I wanted to look at, I, I want to look at two things, well, really three things here. One is where does shame come from? And then we're going to say, what does shame produce? And then how do we deal with it in our life? So first of all, uh, think about where shame comes from. I mean, if you look at this, shame was in the Garden of Eden. Do you remember the story of the Garden of Eden? I mean, right there, we've got shame, right? So we've got Adam and Eve. They start off, they blow it. You know, the the serpent uh, tempts Eve, and then um, Eve and Adam uh, both eat the 
the fruit that they were prohibited of from the, the tree. And, and it says this in Genesis 3.8, it says, Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called the man, where are you? And Adam answered, I heard you in the garden. I was afraid because I found out I was naked and so I hid. You know, shame was there at the very beginning. We even have uh, verses about shame and dealing with shame in in the prophet Isaiah. Um, It's interesting, two of the best verses, I think, about shame deal with um, really the the kingdom of God and the kingdom of God that would be initiated by the Messiah. And so in Isaiah 54, 4, he describes what effect it will have on shame, you know, this thing that we rejoice in. And he says this, do not be afraid. You will not be put to shame. Do not fear disgrace. You will not be humiliated. You will forget the shame of the youth and remember no more the reproach of your widow hill. Widow, widow, widow hill. I can't say it. Widowhood. There we go. Widowhood. Okay. So where does shame come from? Well, there's a couple of them pointed out in there. You know, the shame of our youth. You ever have those things that even back when you were a teenager that you just think of and you go, oh, man, I just can't believe I did that. You know, and it comes up and you just dwell on it. You amplify it in, the, in your life. You know, that's one thing. Those past hurts, those mistakes. And instead of saying that, you know, I've learned a lot since then. It made me who I am today. Uh, we grieve and we just have that feeling that sickens us. Um, and it, it, it just, we just dwell on it and say, I can't believe I will never recover from that. Or else, uh, there's kind of the example, the reproach or shame of the widow, you know, these things that happen to you, you know, there are some things in life that as we live in, the, live in this fallen world, and they're just some evil things that happen to people. And a lot of times, whether that's abuse of some way, um, you just feel like part of that was your fault. You know, if you look at abusive situations or violent situations of sexual abuse and, you know, people that say, wow, you know, I can't believe I was there. I can't believe I wore that. I can't believe I had that relationship. Did I lead them? You know, and you take that shame and you say, that defines who I am. Or sometimes you have society that gives us shame, you know, as it tries to define us that we need to wear the right fashion, that we need to believe the right things, right? You know, follow the right podcast, listen to the right news programs, and there's a shame that's associated with you uh, sharing, you know, some of the things that you watch. Or even more directly, those times that you post something on social media and you get this reaction that is total shameful, total trying to put you down, and we just grab onto that. Or else, uh, also authority figures or relationships. You know, those relationships where, you know, someone came into your life, you started a close relationship, and then they broke it off, and there was shame in that. Or an authority figure that spoke into your life and said things that were destructive to you. 
Um, to be honest and vulnerable with you today, that's the shame that I carry. Um, a lot of my youth, and I've talked about this before, um, my mom just called me stupid a lot of times. So I rebelled and got a PhD. But, <laughs> but um, you know, and just, you know, I was never abused as a kid, but um, I remember going to an award ceremony, and, uh, and I got this award for an academic achievement, and I came down, and the first thing that my mom says to me is, uh, you embarrassed us up there. You didn't wear a tie, you know? And those things, when you're young, they just haunt you. Now, let me just say that, praise God, that my relationship with my mom has been healed, okay? I am so thankful for that. I mean, I've got this letter from her, and we had a great healing experience. I'd encourage you, if you can do that with your parents before they get old, please do that if it's an appropriate situation. But those things just stick with me, you know, that created that shame in my life. And it's hard for me sometimes because when I make mistakes at work, when I make mistakes, I go for perfection. And anytime I make a mistake, that's what I hear. You're stupid, you know. Shame is such a strange thing like that because those of us that deal with that have to just be on top of it and bring it before Christ continually. And it's kind of weird because sometimes you think, you know, does shame only affect women? Does shame only affect men? And in the research, they find that shame affects both men and women, but it affects them differently. And you can just tell that by the things that whenever they interviewed men and women about shame, these are some of the things that came out, and you can just start to group them and see that shame for women and shame for men, although we both have it, sometimes the source is a little different. This is, these are some of the comments that were made, that women made about their shame and about the things that causes this. These are some of their comments from the research. Listen to this. Look perfect, do perfect, be perfect. Anything less than that is shaming being judged by other mo mothers, being exposed, the flawed parts of yourself that you want to hide from everyone else are revealed. No matter what I achieve so far, I've come, where I come from and what I've survived will always keep me down. Even though everyone that's, that's there is no way to do it all, everyone still expects me to do it all. Shame is when you can't pull it off looking like it's under control. Never enough at home, never enough at work, never enough with my parents, shame is never enough. No seat at the cool kids' table, the pretty girls are still laughing at me. Pretty, thin, nice, and successful, do it all. Even though many are at odds, the common message with women in shame is that we don't measure up, that we're not perfect, that we can't do it all. You know, I, I, I experienced this uh, with, <laughs> a little bit with Jeanette, um, and we've shared this before. Uh, we used to, uh, Jeanette used to have a really hard time inviting people over to our house uh, because she was like, man, you know, our house is, you know, it's 
like I was fine. It, you know, there's a little dust and stuff like that. And I was like, I was like, Jeanette, man, it's fine. It's all right. It's just a bunch of guys, you know, it's our friends and stuff like that. But I never realized how much that house represented her, that she took it on like that, that she felt like she had to keep things looking all right. This is my job. This is part of it. You know, and so I had to learn that too and realize that. And, and fortunately now Jeanette's uh, gotten to the place where she's like, eh, <laughs> like that. Um, let me talk a little bit about guy shame. Listen to the things that, are, that, uh, that the men actually uh, talked about. Shame is failure. It all comes down to being perceived as weak. At work, on the football field, in your marriage, with money, with your children, it doesn't matter. Shame is failure. Shame is being wrong. Not doing it wrong, but being wrong. Shame is a sense of being defective. Shame happens when people think you're soft. It's degrading and shaming to be seen as anything but tough. Revealing any weakness is shaming. Basically, shame is weakness. Showing fear is shameful. You can't show fear. You can't be afraid no matter what. Shame is being seen as the guy you shove up against the lockers. Our worst fear as men is being criticized or ridiculed. Either one of these is extremely shaming. You know, and you hear those things and you just see that in men we deal with a common theme is perceived weakness. And sometimes you think, you know, and I, I think uh, sometimes women and our, our wives th- think, well, that's, that's terrible. You must have had a, a rough father or a coach that really was shaming to you. But in the studies, they've shown that it's sometimes the wives or do- daughters that they feel shamed by the most because they feel like, our, our, our wives and our daughters would rather see us die on our white horse than not, than not go to battle, you know? So shame for men is a lot of times about weakness. So what are, you know, we've got, we've, we agree, and I saw some heads nodding that uh, both men and women deal with shame. So what is it, you know, what are the results or harmful reactions of shame? And let me kind of go through these things with an um, allegory. And I think I got that right. This is not a metaphor, an allegory. This is like something else. That's an allegory, right? English people? Yeah, maybe. <laughs> so uh, let me, let's look at how monsters are created, okay? Everyone's seen movie monsters and things like that. Look at how monsters are created. And I'm going to talk about four monsters as an allegory, okay? And that is we've got gremlins, trolls, gargantuans, and zombies. Those are the four things we get turned into by our reactions of shame. Let me talk about gremlins first. You know, gremlins are Steven Spielberg had that gremlin movie, 1984. There's little monsters that were just mischievous. You know, I envision those as those thoughts that are around my mind. You know, that those are those thoughts that are just swirling around my mind when I'm embarrassed that say, see, this is what you're like, see, and, and Satan just loves the accuser come in and just amplify those things. And it's just those thoughts of unworthiness that, see, this really defines who you are. And then another reaction sometimes we have to shame are trolls. Now, trolls are kind of those little creatures 
are creatures that live under bridges, you know, and things like that. And so they're the ones that retreat into darkness. So sometimes in shame, we retreat into that darkness. You know, we disengage. So we're in a relationship. We feel shame by that relationship. We disengage or we numb ourselves with addiction to things like drugs, alcohol, or maybe even work. And then thirdly, there's the gargantuans, okay, the Godzillas. Do you like those Godzilla movies? I mean, Godzilla's, he, he just can't help it. He's big guy, and when he goes and sees a town, he just stomps on everything. And that's kind of representing that person that has shame in their life, and they have those moments of anger, that instead of confessing, man, I just feel hurt by that, their reaction is anger because they want to keep and destroy the thing that shamed them. Or then the final one's the zombie. And the zombie is, if you've seen zombie movies, they bite someone and then that person becomes a zombie and it goes on, you know. Um, That's what I deal with. It's the shame that becomes the shamer. Um, I must admit, and I need to confess this, that I struggle with shaming people. I struggle with it at work. I have to, when I, I need to correct a student or someone at work, I need to pass it by Jeanette many times to say, is this shaming? Because I am so, so programmed to shame whenever I have been shamed. And sometimes I struggle with shaming others. And I think, you know, I used to think shame was so good at correcting people. You know, it's so effective to make them feel bad, and then their behavior changes. Oh, but I've destroyed people like that, too. You know, you may be fortunate to be healed by God in some of these shaming events, but really, there's three practices that I want to give you uh, from the Bible, and then also from this research that really brings down this shame and to help you be more successful in dealing with shame. The first thing is, uh, and this one's rough, and that is living a wholehearted, vulnerable life. Uh, I hate vulnerability. (laughs) I really do. I mean, I would rather you think, oh, that's funny Greg up there, you know. I don't want you to really know who I am and all my junk, you know. But the, the research really shows that if we're vulnerable with each other, if we're truthful to one another, it takes away the effect of that shame. I mean, I don't know. How many people would rather go to the dentist than be vulnerable? Am I the, yeah, right? I mean, give it to me. Give me the shots and stuff like that. Do not make me share my feelings <laughs> or how I really feel. Um, You know, this is even, there's a great verse, and I never looked at this verse like that, like this, but 2 Corinthians 6, let me read this to you, and it's amazing. I love it whenever you find these brilliant things in research, and it's like, oh yeah, that was in the Bible all the time, right? So 2 Corinthians 6, 11 through 13, it says this, we have spoken freely to you, Corinthians. This is Paul and his entourage who are, who's writing a letter to the church in Corinth. And he's got so many things that he's expressing in this letter. And so he really talks to them about this. And he says, we have spoken freely to you, Corinthians, 
and opened wide our hearts to you. We are not without our affection from you, but you are withholding yours from us. As a fair exchange, I speak to you as children, open wide your hearts also. You know, um, we just advertise small groups. We're going to start small groups up here in a few weeks. There is no better place to be vulnerable in front of people, and it is such a healthy way to deal with shame. You know, sometimes there's, and I know there's some guys out there, they're like, I'm not going to be vulnerable, you know. Vulnerable shows weakness, you know, that just shows that I'm weak. You know, but think about this. Anytime you've watched these sports programs where the person, the, 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 the big, tough sports guy talks about his love for his wife, his love for his children, what he's been through in a vulnerable way, we don't look at that as weakness. We look at that as strength. So vulnerability doesn't show weakness, it shows strength. Another thing that's brought out is that you can get rid of shame or you can prevent shame by, a gratitude, by having an attitude of gratitude and encouragement. Um, look at this verse in Hebrews, and I have always loved this verse. Hebrews 3, 12 through 13, it says this, See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart and turns away from the living God, but encourage one another daily as long as it's called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. Isn't that neat? Because we can be encouragers of each other and it will actually prevent shame and sin. And when do we do that? When do we encourage? Well, we encourage as long as it's called today. That kind of sounds like all the time, right? And then lastly, for the third one, is that we need to accept our core, core values from God. Uh, Romans eight fourteen through 17 says this, for those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And, and by Him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are God's children, then we are heirs. If we are heirs, then we are co-heirs with Christ if indeed we share in his suffering in order that we may also share in his glory. You know, you've got two choices here. You can either accept what God said about you, that you are a child of God, that you are precious and valuable in his sight, or you can call God a liar. Those are your two choices, okay? Sometimes we don't feel like that, but that's why you know, my value is not defined by how I feel. It's defined by what God has said for me. Not only what God has said, but think of this. Think of what God said. This is the way that I'm going to redeem mankind to show that I love them. And that, that redemption on the cross with Jesus Christ was not only a redemption of sin, but you know what? Shame was there too. Look at what it says in Hebrews chapter 12. It says this, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witness, let us throw off everything that hinders the sin 
that so easily entangles us. Let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. Listen to this. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. You know, Jesus not only paid the penalty of sin for us, but he also took away the shame and was willing to be shamed in the process. So he understands what it's like to have shame. Let's pray. Father God, um, I just really ask that um, I know that there are people struggling with shame in their lives. Um, Lord, heal them. Father God, I pray that you would heal them. Um, That all of those tendencies that are destructive with people that they love around them, that you would just bring healing there. And Father God, I thank you so much that Jesus Christ on the cross not only paid the penalty for our sin, but took away our shame. And Lord, I just really pray as we worship together that you would just encourage us and build us up as sons and daughters of you. And if there's anyone that doesn't know you today that has the shame of of sin in their life and wants that hope of salvation, I pray that you would meet them there today. Father God, Holy Spirit, go out to them today and heal. And I pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. If you would, uh, would you please stand and we're going to worship together. At Life Community Church, we want you to experience the powerful, life-changing love of God. To learn more, go to lifemohammed.org. lifemohammed.org.